Brotherhood, multiplication, restoration. We are Sin Network. We're a family, planting churches together. Join us as we hear from leaders of this movement from across North America and discover what it really takes to plant churches everywhere for everyone. Today, we're talking with Keenan Akers and Shea Bethea about the intersection of economic restoration and church planting. Keenan, Shea, I'm so excited to, to, to talk with you guys today, you know, really about one of our values that we have at the Sin Network. Um, our values are, we have three kingdom values, right? Brotherhood, multiplication, restoration. Um, today, basically, we're going to get a chance to take a deep dive on one of the, probably the most misunderstood value of all of them is this idea of restoration. Um, one of the things that we like to talk about is the idea of you know, the Micah 6 and 8 passage. What is Micah 6 and 8, Keen? I'm This is your test. Yeah, to act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly before God. Yeah. So t talk to me a little bit about kind of what is restoration and how do we see restoration as um, Sin Network? Yeah. It's simply um, recovering and pursuing God's original design for holistic health. Yeah. Yeah. That's how, good. How, I mean, I think that's important because a lot of times when we talk about um, in evangelical worlds, a lot of times the statement that is commonly said is that if you save the soul, everything else will take care of itself. Yeah. You know, but while we recognize that there is kind of a spiritual awakening and our relationship with God is critical, you know, in the salvation. But God says more than that. God is redeeming and restoring more than that. When while kind of we we're restoring spiritually, mm -hmm. there's we talk about there's spiritual renewal. But there's also economic, emotional, and social, kind of holistically. The gospel is the answer for all of those things. Why is that important that we, we talk about um, restoration or renewal more holistically instead of just kind of in a microcosm? Um, yeah. No, I, I think it's important because, in fact, I know it's important because if you go back to Micah 6 and 8, you know, that's the thing that God requires of us to do. And perhaps we, um, throughout the generations, have known these. We read it in scripture, but we haven't executed it well. Yeah. And so when we meet people in the community or we are telling people about our faith or we evangelize, um, it's, it, it can be just as offensive as the gospel Amen. itself by ignoring the need that's there. Right. And I think that's one of the things, and specifically as evangelicals, that we run from. Because I think part of it is a fear of becoming, you know, something that is just only socially driven. And we lose kind of the biblical precedence, you know, in it. And But what gets me excited and the reason why I ultimately became Southern Baptist mm -hmm. and now I'm a part of Sin Network was because of a phrase that we can do more together than apart, yeah. right? And so that was what drove me. But then I read some of the history and I get excited about when I see 13 churches coming together and seeing a social need like medical care. There's, there's not being addressed. And then that this these 13 churches come together and all of a sudden a Baptist hospital mm -hmm. comes out of it, right? And so we see this a rich history of addressing these issues, but somehow evangelicals, we've just kind of lost that kind of focus and it's just like, all right, we just got to save the soul. And we've missed kind of that emotional, that economic and that social piece that is about holistically establishing God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And Shay, I'm so excited to meet you because, like, 
you're like the the myth, the legend. You know, you've been to like the to to help train a lot of our um, some of our planning couples and different mm-hmm. things of, around this issue of specifically the economic, mm-hmm. you know, pillar. Um, in this idea of kind of restoration and holistically addressing, like, what do you feel is the reason of how we got to this place? So I, I really believe, and um, don't shoot the messenger, okay? Mm-hmm. I really believe that church, the mindset of the church for so long has been a relief mentality mm-hmm. as opposed to a development mentality. And what I mean by that is there's a study that says 62% of churches focus on food, mm-hmm. 53% focus on shelter, and then the, the number goes on and on and on. And down at the very bottom, 1% at that particular time when the study was done only concentrated um, funds for employment. Just 1% of churches concentrated on employment for people in their community. And so this is my thing to Heidi. If we were to flip that list and if just imagine if 62% of churches allocated funding for people in their community for work. Mm-hmm. Imagine what would happen if that that list was flipped. And so I heard you talk about evangelicals thinking about the soul and everything mm-hmm. would be okay. But my soul is going to be um, missing something. There's going to be a void if I can't take care of my family. So if you come in and you do something for me that I could do for myself, you then create a pattern that walks me through a process called toxic charity. And so at the end of that process, I'm no better than I began. So you're continuing to do something for me. So then that means that you have the Messiah complex and now you can solve my problems. And that's not what we're here to do. So relationships take time, you know, and if you want to talk about holistic, then we really have to talk about the economic side of what's happening in a community. And I believe that if churches would concentrate on employment, it would change the dynamic. Mm -hmm. You you talked about the 1% focusing in on employment. And you also talked about the idea of toxic charity. And, you know, you read the books on, like, toxic charity, when helping hurts. You read these, um, these, these books on that. Talk to me a little bit about the importance and just even the dignity of instead of going from a relief um, oriented to kind of an empowerment or empowering kind of um, vantage point, um, why is that important? It's important because the relief is just that. When we think about the um, traumatic thing that just happened to the Bahamas, okay, so these people lost everything, right? So we need relief in situations like that. But if you're talking about an individual like myself being in a community and you're continuing to provide relief for me, what's going to happen, Dahadi, is that every month I'm going to come back to you for that same thing. But it's not changing my economic status. It's keeping me indebted to what you can provide for me. And so that's not changing. But when you can help me develop, you know, if you can help me grow, if the church can surround me holistically and deal with all of the issues that I'm battling with, then that's going to help me. That's going to restore my dignity. I remember when I was going through a time of homelessness, I was going through a time of not being able to take care of my family. And the issue is that people have great intentions, 
say for instance, Toys for Tots. Let me give you an example. Yeah. Toys for Tots. So you have all of these single moms or women who are economically challenged coming to this place and they're having to, first of all, stand in a line Okay, that's the first thing. And then you go into this room and you're watched like a hawk for two tours for your child. How is that restoring dignity in me as a single mom? And so it would have been much better if I would have been economically advantaged to be able to go somewhere and purchase the toys for my kids myself. That makes a whole lot of difference yeah. in terms of holistic ministry for that individual. That's good. So you're, what I'm hearing you saying is, is the difference between crisis versus chronic, Absolutely. you know, issues, right? Yes. And, you know, and a lot of times what we have become good at is doing crisis-oriented ministries. Yes. Like there's a crisis that hit happen, let's go in and let's address this crisis. But what I hear you're saying is not even about just addressing the crisis, which is a crisis, and which is deeply sad. Right. You know, the fact that if I'm a mom who don't have the ability to provide toys for kids, that's a crisis. And yes. that can bring about trauma, mm -hmm. you know, and stress Absolutely. in a family's life. Absolutely. But instead of just addressing that one traumatic situation, how do we kind of reverse engineer or go back to what is why how do we get to this place how do we get to this point and so like how do we address the chronic issues and mm -hmm. being able to do that so how would you using that example how would you change um or would you recommend me as a pastor to addressing a mom which i'm i'm introduced to her as she doesn't have mm -hmm. toys for her kids mm -hmm. how would you recommend me to address that situation that is an excellent question, Dahadi. Thank you so much for asking that question. Because I wish other pastors would ask that same question. Mm -hmm. First of all, it's about relationship. So what happens is, if I come to your church and you provide the toys for my kids for that Christmas, what happens after that? Mm -hmm. Do you even know my name? Do you know my kids' names? Mm -hmm. Like, what is what happens after that? What's the follow-up after that? So what happens is, is when, when it's just that relief, that, that one and done, as yeah. people call it, yeah. that attacks my dignity because my children are looking at the church as yeah. whatever you want to call yeah. it, whether it's the Messiah, the great white hope, or whatever, mm -hmm. um, and, and looking at mom as though mom can't provide toys for us. So it would be awesome if a women's ministry would come and surround this mom and begin to build a, um, an authentic relationship with her, get to know her, find out why are you in this situation. It could be that she's running from a domestic violence situation. Mm -hmm. It could be that she lost her job. It could be that she doesn't have family in the city where she's living or her family is not economically advantaged to help support her and her family. Mm -hmm. Get to know why is she in that situation is gonna go a lot further than just coming and provide toys for her just for that Christmas. Yeah. Cause it's gonna happen again. That's good, good. Why, why are you guys so passionate about this? Uh, you know, I mean, obviously besides just the humanness of it, I mean, what, what about your stories makes you passionate about doing this more holistically versus just simply doing crisis? Because we do crisis well, yeah. you know, just, we can do, we can address crisis well. Why not continue that? Yeah. Why, why are you passionate about that? You want Yeah. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is not just a social justice. It's not just being a do-gooder, you know. 
are looking for selfies. Like this is gospel-centered work. And the reason why it's gospel-centered work, and I wish I could stand on a banner and just like tell the world, but for those who've been justified by faith, just action should, should ensue, yeah. period. If people hear the gospel, but they don't see us behaving just, they don't care about our doctrine of justification. Right. And we've seen that over and over, but if we keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result, mm -hmm. we won't see many people come to Christ. They need to see Christ through us because we are the body of Christ. Yeah. But if the body never moves, you're gonna say, well, that's a stagnant, paralyzed body, yeah. right? So when the body becomes active, people are gonna stand back and say, I wanna know about this Jesus. Yeah. I just witnessed that when we were talking about studying uh, biblical justice principles with our team and things like that. And, and one of our team members' daughter even came back and said, that's, that's the Jesus I read about, yeah. and that's the one I want to know. Yeah. And she was pulling herself away from church. Yeah, it's good. nothing, the narrative didn't change. Right. We, so, yeah. so how do you move from kind of a theological proposition, sure. you know, to actually embodying that, right? I mean, embodying this reality, because I mean, as I know you specifically, Keenan, and just fleshing this out, and I've heard so many things about you, Shay, and, you know, around this, like, this is not something that's new. We can give you many evangelicals and theologians can quote you many scriptures mm -hmm. about Christ being, you know, feeding the homeless, doing the, you know, bringing dignity, changing you from Simon to Peter, you know, we can theologically, but there's something like that keeps us from doing it. And I was like, is there something about your story that has taught you to embody this or to say that we, this has to happen? You know, I mean. Yeah. For me, it's my life. That's what I lived. Yeah. Um, I've been on the side where I had to stand in 35 degree weather for a turkey at Thanksgiving time. And you have to be there three hours early just to make sure you get in line in a place in line so that you can receive the turkey. And so just being a single mom, experiencing homelessness and um, being born into a family that was just trapped in generational poverty. I just was a victim mm -hmm. and people don't know how they are victimizing people, but I was a victim of, excuse this term, poverty pimping. Yeah. So I was a victim of that. And um, so when you talk about changing the narrative, let's change the narrative. Let's really give people what they need. So that means that the church, you know, if you are a church in a community, are you really serving the community or are you a commuter church? Are people coming outside of the community coming to your church? What really is the purpose of your church? If your church was there for 10 years and then all of a sudden something happened and it was no longer there, would the people in your community miss you? Yeah. Would they miss your presence? Yeah. And so now we're talking about doing community, yeah. doing church with the community wow. instead of doing church for mm -hmm. the community. And and yeah. No, and I think that's, that's good because that's one of the things that Blueprint Church, when we got was there, we talked about, like, how do we become a value add to this community? 
And if we were to shut down, would the community know? Would, right. would they feel like it was right. lost? But as I started doing research, you know, as I started doing more and more research around it, most of the books like Toxic Charity or even, you know, um, When Helping Her, some of the books that we've referred to, they're resources that kind of have a suburban mindset that's coming into the city, but it's not necessarily as much of someone that is indigenous living in the neighborhood. First, I would love to know of their recommendations of books or people that, you know, that you would give, you know, to me to share about like, Here's some good research. Here's some good things to, to read to start this conversation about a church that's in the community. I mean, you know, I mean, we're in the old fourth ward. We have the largest Section 8 housing in the southeast, but we also have the, right. the, you know, the fastest growing gentrifying community, mm -hmm. you know, in our city. And so gentrification, these worlds are right there. And it's hard to be, you know, talk about it. So it's like I don't talk about mercy ministry at our church. We're just doing ministry. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, mm -hmm. So what resources um, for those churches that are in the community, you know, that are trying to do it. And then what would you, you know, call the church outside the community, in the sub suburban church? Because, like, they're in the suburbs. They can't do anything about being there. Mm -hmm. How would you teach? Like, what are two different ways to engage in that? One, one thing that I've done is, um, you know, especially being local there with you is, like, you, you, the church, yes, like the church is going to serve. But if we don't deal with the issue of the heart, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how much training you give a congregation, right. how many tools we have set up. It's, a lot of it's a heart issue. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I've been referring a lot of people to um, a book called The Little Book of Biblical Justice. And I love the title because that's what it is. Yeah. And as you go through scripture, if you, if you have time to read 60 pages, and it's, the 60 pages are really packed, but as you go through those 60 pages and you see, like, no, this is what God has been calling us to from Genesis to Revelation. Mm. We just have been really, really addicted to information but allergic to execution. If we really do the things that God has called us to do, you're going to start to see communities change and people flourish. And that starts because your heart was transformed. Absolutely. So to answer your question. Heart do, transformation. Heart transformation. Yeah. Yeah. But, yes. pr but prayer Yes. And asking the Holy Spirit, what innovative initiatives do you have for Keenan, for Shay, mm -hmm. for Dahadi to really do these things? Right. Have, so yeah. if you have me as a pastor, sure. I need to go through heart transformation. And then do I teach heart transformation to the congregation? Because, you know, me engaging in the community mm -hmm. and we engaging in the community are becoming a church of the community. Right. Mm -hmm. Are two different, two different things. And how do you do that when in a church where you have people on Section 8, and at the same time, you have doctors in, in, the, in the same congregation. And so, you know, it's, it's, yeah. you know, hopefully there's a question in there. Do you get what I'm, yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So I work for an organization called Jobs for Life. Okay. And Jobs for Life provides the biblical principles focusing on work, which brings the church, the people in need of work, and the business community together. So if you have a church where you have different socioeconomic individuals in your church, you have a platform or a tool mm -hmm. called Jobs for Life, which is an eight-week um, class that men and women go through that you can bring the doctors in as champions. They can be instructors there and with the people who are in need of work, the individuals in your congregation who are on Section 8. Mm -hmm. So this gives them the opportunity to be in a room 
hearing from each other, cultivating relationships from each other, and that's where the heart transformation happens. Because what we have seen time and time again, Dahadi, is that people may have a different mindset coming in, but at the, eight, the end of the eight-week um, class sessions, the transformation happens. They understand. Now it's not I have these preconceived notions about who you are and why you are where you are. Now I understand where you are, why you are there. I understand because I've taken the time to learn from you. I've taken the time to listen to what you're going through. And then what happens is, is that the transformation ends up really being greater on the doctor end than the people who are living yeah, in Section 8. That's good. Let me, one, where do you get that resource? Where where can we find out about Jobs for Life? www.jobsforlife.org. Jobsforlife.org. Mm-hmm. And in the last 30 seconds, I would love for each of you just to kind of tell me, like, what what is your hopes? What is your dream, specifically for the local church, mm. for, you know, for pastors like me? Who is this like, I want, I want this, I desire this, I desire this for myself, I desire this for my church. I mean, what's your hopes and your dreams for them? So, I'll, can I go first? Sure. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> Dahadi, this is what I really would love to see happen. Pastors like you, talking to your congregation, telling them from the pulpit, because they're going to listen to you. You have their ear. They respect you. This is what we have been called to do. We have been called to the ministry of reconciliation. That means that when we're in this community, we have to be willing to be uncomfortable. We have to be willing to come out of our places of comfort, to be uncomfortable, to love our neighbors. And that's one thing that I teach in our training, is that do you, re- if you really love God, your test of how much you really love God is how you love your neighbor. And if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, can you really tell me that you love God? So that's what I would love to see churches on the from the local community do is love their neighbor like the Bible says. Yeah. I, I oftentimes talk about we need to move from a ethnic missiology to yes. a neighbor missiology. Yes. And really answer that question that we yes. all want. Do I love my neighbor? Right. That's, that's good. Yeah. That's it. My quick response is, is Ephesians 8, 9, but also 10. Like, let's be excited about this. By grace, we're saved through faith, and this not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. But you are his workmanship, verse 10. We often hear sermons on Ephesians 8, 9, and we get excited, and we say hallelujah. But all that happens so that we can get to verse 10. I saved you to serve. Yeah. I saved you to be my workmanship. And that's, I think, is the missing piece of larger in the evangelical church today is, again, we can't just be people who are just addicted to information but allergic to execution or we're not fulfilling our call in Christ. Yeah. I really appreciate you guys sharing. I love how you just, Ephesians 8, 9, mm-hmm. 2, 8, 9. Yeah. But I love, oh, yeah, yeah. Two, eight, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, this is a chapter, this is a, that's the, the, the Maccabees, that's the extra versions. No, but I'm, I'm really appreciated and I'm thankful, sure. you know, and just really you guys both passion. I know that you guys both talk about is this, how do we move from transactional ministry to transformational ministry? And what you guys have been talking about, this holistic transformation is so needed. And you know, I just pray that you guys would just keep pressing on the church to fulfill the call that God has called us to be.